welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry and social justice. Hello, this is James and welcome to the Madden America podcast. We have another special episode today which is dedicated to the latest updates in the ongoing complaint against the UK Royal College of Psychiatrists. So, by way of background, for those that may be new to this, on March the 9th this year, a group of 30 academics, psychiatrists and people with lived experience wrote to the UK Royal College of Psychiatrists to challenge public statements that senior members of the college had made about antidepressant withdrawal. In a letter to the Times newspaper, which followed media reporting of a large antidepressant meta-analysis published in The Lancet, the chair of the Royal College's Psychopharmacology Committee wrote the following. The statement that coming off antidepressants has disabling withdrawal effects in many patients, which often last for many years, is incorrect. We know that in the vast majority of our patients, any unpleasant symptoms experienced on discontinuing antidepressants have resolved within two weeks of stopping treatment. The complaint lodged following that letter both provided evidence that countered this two-week claim and also requested that the Royal College provide the evidence upon which that statement was based. One of the signatories to the complaint, Professor Sammy Timmamy, took time out to explain a little more about the complaint and where we had got to in the process. Professor Timmamy is a consultant child and adolescent psychiatrist and visiting professor of child psychiatry and mental health improvement at the University of Lincoln, UK. He writes from a critical psychiatry perspective on topics relating to mental health and childhood and has published over 100 articles, tens of chapters and authored, co-authored or co-edited 10 books. Sammy, thank you so much for making the time to chat today for the Madden America podcast. To begin, I wanted to ask if we could talk a little about why you, along with other academics and psychiatrists, felt it important to challenge public statements about antidepressant withdrawal made by representatives of the Royal College. Well, I think it's really important that uh, the statements that were made gave the impression that uh, anti Uh, And this was following the publication of a study which was interpreted in a way that I don't think is justified. But even putting that aside, the way um, the article came across and the statements came across was that uh, patients should be reassured that antidepressants are effective, are safe and that you're unlikely to experience uh, any withdrawal symptoms, and if you do, they're likely to be mild and disappear fairly quickly. So this is a statement that gives a false impression based on the current evidence that we have. So it gives false reassurance, which could lead to um, a lot of unnecessary harm. Uh, if people then are persuaded by this to take antidepressants in the belief that they can take them for a certain period and then they will have no trouble coming off them if, for example, they don't experience improvement on them or they want to come off them for all sorts of other reasons, side effects, um, don't feel comfortable with it, feel that its use is uh, no longer necessary, and then they discover that actually they're incredibly hard to come off. Um, uh, this is how we can create a situation where people can end up taking these medications not because they are of any benefit to them, but because they find it so hard to come off them that they uh, find themselves 
continuing to be prescribed. And, and uh, I think we have a fair amount of literature to say that people who end up in that situation can often end up being prescribed higher doses, uh, maybe having more medication added in, and so on, leading to a picture of increasing potential for harms that are coming from all the different side effects and interactions that come from being on these medications, uh, which would have been unnecessary if they had been warned in the first place about these potential problems. And for this to come from the institution which I am a part of, I'm a fellow of the, uh, of the Royal College, to be making such statements without any qualification as to the possible dangers of withdrawal, I think was just, was just unacceptable. And it needed to be challenged. Thank you. And I'd like to ask for your reflections on the response by the Royal College to both the initial complaint and the follow-up communications. Their response has been and continues to be incredibly disappointing. What it feels to me like is that as an institution, they are putting the perceived interests of psychiatrists above the interests of patients. So most of their response has been um, unnecessarily, in my opinion, and unhelpfully defensive. And to me, what the simplest thing would have been would be to just acknowledge, because it might be that the way the statement was printed in the press, which can happen, um, simply took the comments out of context. So a, a simple thing would have been just to say, to acknowledge that their statement was perhaps unfortunate in that it didn't contain any warnings about the potential for withdrawal symptoms that in some people can be severe and can, for, can last for a long time, and uh, make uh, that correction, for example, by um, uh, asking for it to be published in The Times, the, uh, a correction, there are a number of ways in which they could have met us halfway, acknowledged that what we had raised was legitimate. Instead, there has been just a series of uh, dismissals. They haven't looked at the evidence, or, or rather they haven't responded to the evidence that has been put forward with the complaint. And instead, they seem to have gone back to um, rhetoric to support their position. You know, one of the things that um, happened in, in medicine in the past couple of decades has been the move towards uh, what we call evidence-based medicine. And that came about because in medicine in general, there has been a tendency over the years to just follow what this or that professor who taught you's favorite ideas were about what the best treatment for this or that or whether it's safe or whether it's effective. And originally the evidence-based medicine movement came into being uh, to challenge us not to be practicing based on this or that person's favorite ideas, but to actually back our ideas with evidence gathered from uh, various types of studies so that at least uh, although we still need to interpret evidence and we still need to make sense of that and we need to apply that in each clinical situation but to have a background knowledge base that comes from the evidence-based literature that comes from scientific studies in order to support our opinions and what the response of the Royal College has been 
seems to suggest that they're actually not interested in following the framework of evidence-based medicine. They seem to be more interested in engaging in various nuanced ideas about this person said that and that person said this, like, for example, quoting NICE guidelines. They haven't taken up on the evidence that we've put forward, which was to do with uh, the number of studies that are available that seem to demonstrate that there are, at least in the reported literature, substantial numbers of people who are reporting uh, withdrawal symptoms. And uh, I've been involved in, in one of those uh, studies myself, so I've kind of have some um, personal research background in looking at the experience of people withdrawing from um, this class of uh, medications. And it seems that their claim that withdrawal symptoms generally subside after a week or two is, is not the experience being reported by many, many patients. Many patients talk about sometimes quite severe withdrawal symptoms that cause um, uh, enormous um, suffering and that can go on for weeks, months, and even years. So they didn't take us up on that evidence. They didn't engage with us on an argument about the evidence. And one of the most peculiar things that happened was uh, within a short time after the complaint was put forward, one of their very own leaflets that was on the Royal College website was suddenly taken off. And in that leaflet, which is about uh, antidepressants, it says that a large proportion of patients, I can't remember what they uh, exactly said uh, offhand, uh, I've got a feeling it was something like two-thirds, can uh, experience withdrawal symptoms that can go on beyond two weeks. So this was, uh, I mean, there is a real lack of proper um, research in this area because for obvious reasons there's no money to be made by looking at uh, withdrawal experiences. Mm. So the research that we do have is probably not of the best uh, quality, but it is the only available evidence we do have. So you have to go by that until you uh, can uh, find better data. For somebody to make a statement uh, in the way that they made that statement to say, um, to minimize that these things can happen uh, and do happen, and to not be able to put forward concrete evidence of some sort, and it doesn't count as evidence to say things like, well, it's my experience or it's clinical experience, that, that, that's what evidence-based medicine was trying to get away from. And so far, they they put forward in their response two papers, neither of which contain any evidence about withdrawal symptoms. So, so far, they've put forward no evidence to back up uh, that opinion, whereas we have put forward several papers and indeed even their own study that was on their website until we made the complaint when it was um, hastily withdrawn. And, uh, and I'm sure nobody buys their excuse that, oh, it was just due to be withdrawn anyway because it needed to be revised. Nobody buys that. I don't believe that it was a coincidence. The fact that they have not come back to us with any concrete evidence from research, from uh, something 
to which to back that confidently made statement and that they're continuing to back that that statement was reasonable and justified. This is not how proper doctors behave. It's not how proper scientists behave. And I just think it brings the college into disrepute. Absolutely. And Sammy, as you said, the college have been very reluctant to engage on the core issue, which is the evidence in support of that public statement. So given that reluctance, what are the options for the complaint moving forward? That's a kind of hard question to to answer because the thing that they've got on their side is power. And of course, when you're the person in power, you tend to have more authority in defining what counts as knowledge. So if somebody who is called the president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists says that antidepressants, you don't suffer withdrawal symptoms from taking antidepressants, and if you do, they're usually fairly mild and and will disappear quite quickly. If somebody says that who is um, in that position, they will be taken on trust to be, if you like, putting forward an expert and knowledgeable uh, position. And it's very hard then for other people to come along and um, challenge this. But of course, um, those who are in power can carry on selling half-truths or no-truths for a long time, but they can't do it indefinitely. So uh, I don't see that there is any other option than to keep pointing this out, that um, their position remains a non-evidence-based position, that they haven't actually responded to the evidence that we have put forward, Mm. that this could have been resolved uh, quickly and easily if they had patient interests rather than guild interests at heart. And I guess we have to keep talking about it to anyone who will listen, Um, ideally, try and keep getting this into the public domain, perhaps pursuing it with um, uh, journalists and and websites and um, wherever we can. Well, from my perspective, Sammy, I'm very grateful to all the signatories to the complaint for standing shoulder to shoulder with people like myself who have personal experience of this. To have professionals on our side makes such a difference because otherwise it can be seen as perhaps a group of patients who have an axe to grind. But This issue is much broader than that, isn't it? And looking more widely, what should psychiatry do, in your opinion, to ensure that when psychiatric drugs are prescribed, the patient is always allowed the chance to make decisions about treatment which are informed by the facts? Well, I think you've just said it. The patient should be um, informed. If people are to make a a collaborative decision about treatment, and uh, I think in healthcare in general, but particularly in mental healthcare, where the therapeutic relationship is so vital because people are talking about painful experiences, things that are difficult to share, things that are difficult to talk about. So having that sense of uh, um, trust and genuineness is vital for um, people to feel heard and taken seriously. And um, it is part of the uh, ethics of being a doctor, that you are meant to provide as much information as you can to allow patients to make decisions about treatments that you're offering. Uh, As the wisdom goes, 
patients are perfectly entitled to make what you consider to be stupid decisions. But if that's the decision that they want to make, that's the thing that should be respected. But patients can't make decisions stupid or otherwise without having the full information at their grasp. And when it comes to prescribing medications, such as what we incorrectly call antidepressants, I say it's incorrectly because that's just a marketing term, there is no such thing really as an antidepressant. But when it comes to um, prescribing of them, it is, I think, our responsibility to explain what the studies find in terms of the difference between placebo and explain what that is and the active medication. Explain that in these studies, it's often hard to know how much of the extra benefit that appears to come from uh, these medications might just be due to unblinding. Also explain that the literature seems to show that um, short-term benefits that sometimes happen with these medications often wear off, uh, so that some of the longer-term studies appear to show that um, if you just rely on using medications, your likelihood of getting well and staying well is actually quite small. You should be able to explain all the potential side effects that you might experience that, so that the patient can weigh that up. And it is vital that you explain that if the patient wants to withdraw from them, there, uh, according to the literature that we do have at the moment, there appears to be a very high likelihood that they might experience withdrawal symptoms and to let them know a little bit about these withdrawal symptoms so that they know about this before they start on these medications. Well, Sammy, thank you for taking the time to help me understand why it's so important that we do challenge public statements that when taken at face value could in theory lead people into difficulty quite easily. They could, and they do. Well, I'm very grateful to Sammy for taking the time to bring us up to date. And we move on now to talk with Professor John Reed. John, thank you so much for finding the time to talk to us today at what must be a very busy time for you. And as we heard from Sammy there, we're discussing a response back to the Royal College of Psychiatrists following the response of their chief executive officer to the complainants. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about the response letter that we are now sending back to them. Indeed, yeah. Well, we were a bit surprised really to get a letter out of the blue from the chief executive officer of the college after they, the college had ignored us for several weeks and then acknowledged our, our response to their dismissal of our complaint. Um, and suddenly we get this long eight-page, rather rambling letter from the chief executive officer, which essentially just repeats all the irrelevant points and disingenuous explanations um, of the previous communications and, and, and adds some extra um, on top. Um, the extra bit, for instance, is a new concern, is that he's made a definitive statement that, quote, it is no part of the college's function to police debates. <laughs> Um, and as we've said in our response, this implies that even your most senior officials can say absolutely anything they like, however false or damaging, and the college will back them. Um, and we are disappointed that an organization representing medical professionals with a code of ethics to uphold would adopt such a curious stance. But in, in a way, it is kind of consistent with the response all along. It, it really is a sort of arrogant, dismissive, we, we can say whatever we like. We don't care what the research says. Who are you to challenge us? We are the Royal College. 
and um, it's 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 very sad that they don't seem to grasp that they have a responsibility to reflect research and a responsibility to treat respectfully these 30 people who have signed this complaint, including 10 of their own profession, and including 10 people whose own experience contradicts the statement that we're challenging, um, because they're, um, and you're one of them, so you know, James, um, their, their collective um, uh, duration of withdrawal symptoms is from 11 months to, to 10 years. Mm. Yet these, the college is now firmly standing by at the highest level of the organization, consistently standing by the statement that um, for the majority of people, these things don't last more than two weeks. Uh, so we have actually now um, sent back a letter, which we will be releasing, which we are, we, we are releasing publicly. And I just want to read you the main part of it, if I may, James, and you, you're familiar with it because you've already signed it. But um, we have we said, as a result of your letter, we are now certain in our conclusion that currently the Royal College of Psychiatrists, one, prioritizes the interests of the college and the profession it represents over the well-being of patients, uh, which, which a point that uh, Dr. Tamimi made rather well earlier in this podcast. Two, is fully committed to the minimization of the withdrawal effects of antidepressants, regardless of the research evidence. Three, does not value empirical research as the appropriate basis for making public statements and for resolving disputes, and has thereby positioned itself outside the domain of evidence-based medicine. Uh, another point that Sami Tamimi was, was, was making, this whole point about um, for decades now, most people have accepted that we have to have evidence-based medicine, but psychiatry all too often doesn't quite grasp that they are part of a sort of medical um, scientific community. They're still acting as if um, individual people can, they're powerful enough, can just say whatever they like and tell everybody to be quiet. Um, number four, that the, that the college has a complaints process which results in substantive, carefully documented complaints on serious matters of public safety not even being investigated but rather dismissed out of hand by one individual and there we're making the point that it didn't even reach the second stage of their appeals of their complaint procedure where somebody actually investigates it it was just thrown out at the first hurdle um, by the registrar and now supported by the chief executive officer so it wasn't even deemed worthy of investigation when their senior officials make misleading and potentially dangerous statements in the, in the media. Three more points. Number five, that the college has no interest in engaging in meaningful discussion with professional and patient groups who question their position on an issue. Six, is prepared to use blatantly disingenuous tactics, which we document later in the, in the letter, to try to discredit reasonable complaints and has thereby positioned itself outside the domain of ethical professional bodies. And finally, and this is sort of a background issue, but it, uh, it does sort of play, a, play an ongoing role in, in how we have come to have such a rigidly biological, simplistic biological explanation of human distress and, and, and leading to um, the overuse of medical solutions to human distress and the minimization of their damage, the damage that they do. The last point is 
that the college is unaware of or unconcerned about the distorting influence of the pharmaceutical industry. So those are the seven points we've now made. We don't expect a response, or in fact, even a, uh, we. I mean, we have said we would still like to talk if you're if you're open to that. We've said that at every stage, um, starting with complaint, and then haven't even been polite enough to respond to that. Mm. Um, but we're still open to that if they should change their mind. We're still hoping that somebody in the organisation might stand up and realise that all they've got to do is, as Sammy said, is retract the statement or explain it or correct it or, or whatever. It's a simple thing we're asking them to do. They can't do the other thing we've asked them to do, which is provide evidence, because there isn't any. Um, we know that. Um, but they can do something about the statement. Well, it's, it's a bit of a sad state of affairs, but there we are. It is, and what troubled me most about that response is the seeming weakness of the procedures to challenge the college, and that if a group of academics and psychiatrists standing together can't challenge the college, then what hope does a single person have if something goes wrong for them? Well, yes, indeed. I would say none whatsoever, which is not acceptable for a body uh, representing medical professionals. People have to feel confident that um, they can challenge things. Things go wrong. People make mistakes. Every organization makes mistakes. Um, and it's important that you have proper processes to, to deal with that. But as you say, yeah, 30, 30 people, including 10 psychiatrists, eight professors, et cetera, et cetera, and they just get treated with absolute disdain. And, and to the point that it almost, um, as Sammy said, nobody believes some of these reasons they're coming up with. It's like they're treating us as rather stupid, you know, when they say, when they say, and he's repeated it again now, this pretense that the, the, the evidence on their own website of 600 people um, saying that um, withdrawal lasts far longer than two weeks from many, many people. They took that down within 24 hours of the complaint and are pretending that they did it because they suddenly discovered just by coincidence on that day that it was out of date. I mean, I, I would just be embarrassed if the head people in my organization um, publicly put out such a load of obvious nonsense. Mm -hmm. It is, it's embarrassing, but they, they don't seem to be embarrassed. They seem shameless almost. It's, it's very curious. Um, but we have stressed the word currently in our, in our statement that the college currently is doing all of these things because we are, we have to be hopeful that there are people within there who can, um, try and return the college to something resembling professional ethics and scientific standards. Because uh, I would imagine most, to be fair, most members I, I think, will be equally embarrassed. Um, and it's a matter of whether they're going to do anything about their current leadership, I think. Thanks, John. And so what options are left on the table? What next steps can the group of 30 now take? Well, as I say, we're still hoping that uh, at this late stage, the college will do the honourable and professional thing. If not, um, then it gets interesting because who are the college actually accountable to? Um, we've been grappling with that in terms of next steps. Uh, we've thought a lot about taking the two individuals involved to the General Medical Council for making misleading and potentially dangerous statements. That's one possibility that we were seriously considering at the beginning, and, and it's still on the table for us, but it has become more of a systemic issue. It's become more of an organization an issue about the professional um, practices of the college. Um, so that suggests we might have to go down the route of the Charity Commission 
Um, we're still um, discussing those options. We could do both, of course. So we're going to wait a little while, see if there's any sort of response before making final decisions on those. And John, for people listening to this, if they wanted to help raise awareness and get behind the issues that we're raising with the college, how can they do that? Presumably by sharing this interview and the letter on social media. How can people get involved? Yes, indeed, sharing the letter, sharing this, sharing this podcast, um, writing to MPs. Uh, it's got to be a collective effort. I think, I think change is more likely to come from um, bottom up, although I'm, I'm hopeful that it might come from bottom up within the organisation, uh, from its membership. But um, I think the, the public... Um, especially those that are concerned about this issue, which, which of course, is many, many people. We, because we know that one in 10, one in nine people are now on antidepressants, which means most of us are either on antidepressants or, or have someone very close to us who are. So this is actually a matter of, uh, for everybody. So the more people can get involved and put a small amount of pressure wherever they think they can um, and not let this issue go away and, and not let... Um, professional organisations act in this unprofessional way. I think together we, we we are in a position where we can make a change. Well, thank you again, John, to you and the other signatories for sticking with it because it feels like the Royal College would rather this all just disappeared, but I don't think this issue should be let go off. Thanks, James. I think they, they, they can make it go away pretty quickly if they just do a couple of, a couple of rather simple things which we keep pointing out to them. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll see the light. We have to, we have to be hopeful, I think. Nice yeah. to talk to you again. Thanks so much for your time, John. I'm very grateful to both Sammy and John for bringing us up to date. And if you'd like to know more and to read the latest letter in reply to the Royal College, you can find links on the post that accompanies this interview on maddenamerica.com. And if you'd like to support ongoing efforts to raise awareness of the issues we discussed, then please share this interview and share the publicly available information as widely as you can to your friends, family, on social media channels, and especially to any media contacts. So thanks for listening, and until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views, and updates.